might we be missing God's will or might we be missing part of God's will? Moses got a haircut. Wow, look at that. Got them all cut. <laughs> uh, but let me pray for us as we get into that. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you are here and you are present. And I ask that you would stake off this ground, uh, the four corners of this property, uh, all around us, Father God. I pray that physically and uh, spiritually you would eradicate any presence here that would seek to bring confusion or keep our mind from focusing on you. I pray that you would uh, open up our ears and our eyes to see you and understand what you're saying to us. Uh, I pray that you would silence any voice, be it uh, a physical voice or a demonic voice in our heads and hearts that keep us from hearing your voice. We pray, Father God, for an actual just real encounter with you right now. And as we head into the next few weeks and, and the following sermons, that you would really speak loudly to us. Um, we thank you for what you're doing in us. We thank you for what you're doing even in our in our country, in our world. Even though sometimes it looks crazy, we know that you are working. And so we are grateful for that. And in Christ name we pray. Amen. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I've got so much stuff going on in my head this morning. <laughs> you're going to have to be patient with me. I, I've been like reading a lot and, and watching a lot of, you know, stuff, just, you know, really good stuff to feed my soul. And, uh, I started a book. It's back there, I think. It's called The Grand Illusion. If you guys ever want to pick that up, there's, by the way, just remember, there's books back there that I buy and put back there for you to take. You can take them for free. You could you could drop a little bit of money in that black box if you want to, but they're really good books. Just take take one, go home and read. I'm really uh, convicted and, and, and just really uh, moved that right now, we as believers, we need to be thinking a lot more. We need to really be feeding ourselves a little bit better than we have in the past. So uh, it's been good. I've had some really good conversations this week with people as well about these things. So, uh, so this is a follow-up series, as I said, to the story series we did for, you know, we ended about, we actually ended about four, four weeks ago or something like that. Um, and if you weren't here for that, uh, and you might be a little bit confused about some of the things that I say today, but you can always go back and listen on Facebook, or if you can't find that, we can send you the audio file or whatever. But in that, that series, we learned, or learned to look at the Bible as one book with one introduction and one story and one conclusion in it, right? Uh, not 66 different, you know, books, but as one one book. And in the in the introduction was Genesis, you know, which, which is Genesis 1 through 11. We saw that God creates the diversity of language and of ethnic groups, right? The Tower of Babel, remember that? He refers to them, and Scripture refers to them as nations, but it's not nations of political boundaries. It is nations of ethnic boundaries, of of linguistic or or distinct ethnic groups, right? And the story, it starts in Genesis 12, if you remember that, and it runs all the way through Revelation chapter 4. And in that story, God's uh, in the process of unifying all this wonderful diversity of the world. He's not erasing the diversity. He's not making us all homogeneous and look alike and talk alike and all stuff. He is unifying all that wonderful diversity uh, under himself. And, and in doing that, he reveals his greatest glory. I mean, it is just... And, and we get our greatest joy when we see that, right? It's because, honestly, when we see 
unification and, and, and uh, reconciliation and things like that, that is a joyous moment. And so when the whole world, you see in Revelation 5, you know, is, is worshiping the Lord before the throne, a, a, a remnant from every people group worshiping the Lord, that is going to be a great, great day. And it will be a day in history. Think about that. Do not doubt that this is history we are talking about. Amen? Amen. Thank you. I heard you all say amen in your hearts. But anyway, uh, so we see the conclusion that's found in Revelations chapter 5 to the very end of the Bible. So we're referring to God's desire to reveal his greatest glory for our greatest joy as the story of the Bible, right? And the story begins, as I said, in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. It actually starts in with a two-part covenant promise that he gives to Abraham, where God basically says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, right? And that we call, we're calling that the top line of the covenant promise, right? So I'm going to bless you, and I want you to turn around and be a blessing to all the other nations of the earth. See, there's the the verses up there. You can read them for yourself. Um, And we call that the bottom line of of the the covenant, right? So I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And in this story, God has a profound global role for us in reaching the nations, uh, which in the end, as I said, yields our greatest joy since we see God's greatest glory as he unifies all that diversity of the world. And in Christ, he brings reconciliation to all who would come to him. And we will see the nations, as I said, worshiping uh, the Lamb of God, Jesus, on the throne, before, you know, uh, before the throne of God. We will see that. We will, we will be a participants in that. And I just am so excited for that. I'm not morbid, I'm not like looking forward to death, but I can't wait to get there. I, in, in some ways, I just, I do not think that we understand how wonderful that moment's going to be. And, and eternity is going to be uh, with the Lord. Um, the problem is that uh, it is possible for us to miss God's will for our lives by only focusing on one part of the covenant promise, Right? There are three ways to see God's promise to Abraham. First, we could view the top line as greater than the bottom line, right? Or we could view the top line as less than the bottom line, or we could view the top line and the bottom line as equal in importance, right? Now, if the top line is greater than the bottom, then what God basically said to Abraham was, I want to bless you, and I want, I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people, and if some of that blessing happens to spill out to the other nations around you, that's fine. But what I'm primarily concerned about is blessing you and you being my special people and all that stuff, right? In other words, God had a greater desire to bless the Israelites than he did to bless the nations of the world. But if the top line is less important than the bottom line, then what God basically said to Abraham was that I've decided to use people to reach people in the world, right? And so when I drew lots, it fell on you. And so I'll make you a deal. I'll bless you. And I'm primarily concerned about uh, you blessing all the other nations, though, right? That's, that's my primary concern. It's, it's them that I'm really concerned about. And if you bless them, then I'll bless you, Right? In other words, God had a greater desire to bless all the nations of the world than he had to bless the Israelites. But there's way too much scripture that talks about Israel being the apple of his eye, right? Deuteronomy 32.10, 
uh, or a royal diadem in his ha- hand. I think a, a diadem is the, the little whatever, you know. Anyway, but Isaiah 62, verse 3, right? Um, but the second one, it, if we look at that, we, we realize right away the second is not an option, right? But the third, the, there is this third option that the top line and the bottom line are equal in, the, in importance. And if the top's equal in importance to the bottom, what God said to Abraham was that I want to bless you and I want to be your God and I want you to be my people and just as important, Abraham, I want you to be a blessing to all the other nations because I love them as much as I love you, right? In other words, God loved the Israelites just as much as he loved the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Philistines and the Babylonians and the Egyptians and all the other people groups. He, God loved and loves everyone equally in the world. So there are basically only two options, right? And maybe Abraham wondered that. Maybe Abraham wondered, is the top greater than the bottom or equal to it? Maybe he focused more on one than the other or whatever. But, you know, if you look at Deuteronomy 7.6, we read... I know I'm wound up this morning. I'm going like a mile a mile a minute. Sorry. Uh, I'll try to slow down and calm down. <sighs> so, Deuteronomy 7.6, we read this. It says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Right? So now that sounds like God loves Israel, Right? Uh, his love for Israel was greater than his love for all the other nations, right? That's what it sounds like. But let's skip down a few chapters. We get to chapter 18, verses 4 and 5. And God, here, God references the Levites and the tithe, which was to go to them. And the Levites could be equated with my role, right? Like pastors, clergy, people like that. People that are Christian workers today, right? Pastors whose job it is to teach and to direct people uh, towards Christ. And the Levites were one of the twelve tribes of Israel, and it was their prescribed task to lead all the other tribes of Israel into the presence of God. They were the ministers uh, of Israel, right? And it says, you're to give them the first fruits of your grain, new wine and oil, and the first wool from the shearing of your sheep. So I'll take your, you can just drop it off from my house, the shearing of your sheep. I, I'll take all that. No, I'm just kidding. For the Lord your God has chosen them and their descendants out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the Lord's name always, right? So God asked the the Levites to minister to all the 11 tribes, all the other 11 tribes of Israel, but we don't take that to mean that God had a greater love for the Israel or, or the Levites than the others only because he separated them out for a task. We don't think like that. He merely had a special purpose for the Levites in the whole operation of the thing, right? And so if we apply that thinking to Deuteronomy 7, 6, knowing God doesn't have a greater love for the Israelites, right? But it does mean that God has a special purpose for them to go and bless all the nations of the earth, which is exactly what God called Israel to be, uh, to be. And, and he says they were a kingdom of priests, right? Now, if, if you don't know this, there are two basic pri- priesthoods in the Hebrew Scriptures, or the Old Testament, as we call it, right? There was the, that specific priesthood, the Levites, 
And, but then they, they ministered, as I said, to all the 11 tribes of Israel. But there was also the general priesthood where the entire nation was called to be a priesthood that led all Gentiles into the presence of God. And we've talked about this in the past. But in Exodus 19, verse 6, God says to all the Israelites, he says, you will be, for me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, we talk of the church now, today, as being a priesthood of believers right now, right? It's the same concept. We have pastors in the church, but we're all called to be God's kingdom of priests, right? Priests are simply bridge builders to God. We're all called to do that. It's about time you guys showed up, for goodness sakes. It does start at 9.30, by the way. I just, I, maybe you were confused. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. They, I know them well, so if you don't know me, I, I know them well, I can bust on them. Anyway, but, um, but we, you know, you remember we've talked about Mark chapter 11, uh, where the Israelites were to be drawing the nations into the outer court of the Gentiles. Remember, that's the chapter where he, uh, you know, he overturns the tables. He's mad about this because that they're not doing what they were supposed, they were called to do. It wasn't about greed. It was about the fact that they were not drawing the nations into that outer court of the temple to let them see the, and reveal God's glory to them, right? They were, they, were to, they were supposed to be acting as priests to all the nations, but they weren't doing that, right? And so we've talked about that. Oh, man, I am really wound up. But the top is equal to the bottom. We've got to understand that. God loved the Israelites... Um, you know, he, 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 loves the, he loves the Israelites, he loves the Hittites, he loves the Philistines, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, and any other people group, every, any other ethnic group, equally, then and now. So God, you know, loves Americans just as much as he loves Israelis, and Syrians, and Chinese, and Nigerians, and Iranians, and Saudis, and Pakistanis, and Indonesians, and even terrorists, he loves equally as he loves you. Even terrorists, he loves equally as much as he loves you. God has always loved all peoples equally, right? And knowing that will help us to understand God's will for our lives. And likewise, not knowing that may keep us from understanding God's will for our lives, right? It's a very important point about God's character. Unfortunately, I think most of us are living sort of a a top line is greater than the bottom line kind of a lifestyle, and we don't fully know God's will for our lives. We really don't. We sometimes are way more focused on being blessed by God than being a blessing to others right? Especially when it comes to the nations. And it's just very natural for us to do that. It's just very natural for that to work itself out like that in our lives. Now, one way to to, uh, find out if we're more focused on the top line uh, than we are the bottom line is to take a simple scripture memory test. So if I said the beginning of this this verse, be still and, right? If I said the beginning of that, what would you fill in after that? Anybody? And know that I am God, right? And that's, that's a great verse, isn't it? Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God, right? Be still, uh, you know, come into my presence 
enjoy me, know me, worship me, that's a really good thing, isn't it? And God says that to each one of us in life. He wants us to do that. But it refers to the top line of the covenant. That is a blessing from God, right? That we can actually know God and experience Him. But if we stop there, we've already failed the test, right? Because we only quoted the first third of Psalm 46, verse 10, right? You, you may never have uh, thought about this, but you're not quoting the whole verse when you say that, right? The church, in church life, we hear that quoted to us over and over and over again. But in its entirety, it says this, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth, or in the earth. That's what it says in entirety. And we've brought up numerous verses over these, this series a few weeks back where we do this, right? The complete verse reflects both the bottom line and the top lines of the covenant promise to Abraham. As we see this all throughout Scripture. You remember when you got your, uh, what do you call it, uh, yearbook in high school? You know, like you get, you get your yearbook, what's the first thing that you do? You flip through all the pages looking for your own picture, don't you? Right? You want to see, you know, not just the one that they took for the book, but you want to see if you showed up in any more action photos, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's, it was just, it's just a very natural thing to do. And sometimes I think we do the same thing with the Bible. Right? We really do. We flip through the pages of Scripture and we ask, the only question we're really asking is, where am I in this? Right? Where am I in this? What's in this for me? Which is, by the way, that is fine. That is natural. There's nothing actually wrong with that. But it doesn't go far enough, does it? It really doesn't. But it, 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 uh, it, it is how many of us have been led to view the Scriptures or, or approach our Bible reading. Where am I in this? Now, if it stayed there, it would be a very selfish act, wouldn't it? Right? So we open it up. We ask this one question, how does God want to bless me? Or, or what's God's will for me, right, for my life? And that's not a judgment. I'm not making a judgment on you. It's a very natural thing for us to do. The problem is that, you know, instead of studying theology, which is the study of God, right? Theos, right? We study meology, right? We, that's all we're studying. <laughs> it's just about me, right? It becomes all about me. And as a result, we're only really reading half of our Bibles. We really are. We're so focused on the top line that we are not even seeing the bottom line of Scripture, right? So let's go over some meology and some stories and see where, uh, how we're missing sort of a half of this stuff and, 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 and what God reveals to us. Um, you, know, you all know the story of Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel chapter 6, right? You know, and Daniel gets thrown into a lion's den for not being uh, willing to pray to this king, right? And while inside the den, you know, he, the lions don't eat him, right? He's, he's all safe. And the king fi then finds out who the bad guys really are because he's been manipulated. And he runs out early the next morning and he looks down and he sees Daniel. He says, Daniel, you're all right. And, and Daniel says, yeah, my God has shut the mouths of the lions. And so the king pulls Daniel out of there and he throws the bad guys in. And what do we learn? You know, what, what did, what did uh, Sunday school teach us, Right. You remember, it, it teaches us that God will take 
care of us in tough times, in dangerous times. That's a good lesson, right? But it refers to the top line of the covenant, the blessing of God in tough times. It's not incorrect. It is correct. It's right. But it is incomplete. It's very incomplete. It's not wrong to look for God's direction and, and His blessing for us in the Scriptures. But if it stops there, it really doesn't go far enough, does it? So what's the bottom line of that story? Well, it's been there the entire time. <laughs> and we, we often miss it. And let's read about what the king does after he pulls Daniel out. It says, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, all the nations, and men of every language throughout the land. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Isn't that interesting? Right? So you've got this Gentile king so impressed with the God of Daniel that he is, if he were alive today, you know, he, he'd go back to his office and he would text all the other kings on the face of the earth and tell them about this. And he would say, worship the God of Daniel. He is absolutely amazing. That's what he would do, right? So we, we have this, this Gentile king that is going out and evangelizing the whole world. Amen to that. So what's the lesson for us today in that? Well, the lesson is that those of different people groups, different ethnic groups, which live among us and we have influence on, can be so impressed with how God takes care of us that they may go and tell others about Jesus. It's part of, you know, some missional strategies to, to, uh, to uh, minister to international students at college, to so that when they go back, they will bring the gospel back to their countries. And that happens quite often. I got a great compliment by Dick Best. Dick Best visited us. He moved away. I don't know if you know him, but he moved away a couple months back and came back for a visit last week. And he was sitting on my, my porch. And, you know, everybody's going in and out of my house as we're talking. And I don't know if you know, but we have different borders from different com- countries living in our house. And, and he says, it feels so international here. And I'm like, yeah, amen, amen to that. It's a, it's a wonderful feeling. So just a wonderful feeling to have people of different, you know, places. I hear, you know, my uh, my my fifth son uh, from Ethiopia. I hear his his music from Ethiopia blaring. Like he sat in front of our house the other day for about an hour with his windows open, blaring the music. He's 19 years old. People do that, right? And uh, blaring his music, and it's just not music that you normally hear around here, right? And it was just so cool. It's just so cool to hear that stuff. But um, now, where was I? <laughs> <laughs> but for, it, it's very common for Muslims when moving to another country and, out, and being out from under control of, of, of the Muslim society, which is controlling. I'm sorry to say, you've got to call it as it is. It is very controlling to become open to the gospel because suddenly they're free. They could never own or have a Bible or, or you know, go to a church service where they lived before, but they can now. And many internationals moving to the States have never had a relationship with a Christian in their whole lives. Not once have they ever sat down and talked with a Christian and had a Christian pray over them and share the gospel with them. It's it's the very first time that they are here and they are actually able to read the Bible, which is your life, your testimony. So think about that. What's the bottom line application in all that? Well, are there internationals in your life, around you, 
who may be watching what God is doing in your life? Can you invite them in more to talk about that and to experience it? I don't think many of us have ever been taught that lesson from Daniel, right? We we haven't really. And this means what we've learned in church isn't necessarily incorrect, but it is sometimes incomplete over time, right? It's lopsided, it's one-sided, it's one rail of the railroad track, right? And we all know that if you don't have two rails, the train can't run, can it? And it's no wonder why many of us struggle to really understand God's will for our lives. Because it's myopic, it's selfish, right? We may have a whole other half of the Bible to read, you know, from now on. So let's look at another story. The ten plagues, you know, in, in Exodus, right? What lesson did we learn there growing up, right? We, 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 we learn that God wants to redeem us. Uh, that just like he redeemed the Israelites from bondage in Egypt, they were, they were oppressed and God freed them and got them out of there. And, you know, I'm going to have to speak louder now. Um, all the, if, you're not, if you're watching at home, all the bells are going off. Anyway, but, um, you know, so he, he freed the Israelites from, man, oh man, having the windows open. Yeah, that's the problem, right? But, uh, what, what's got us in bondage, right? That's the first question we ask. You know, workaholism, alcoholism, drug addiction, pride, uh, pornography, you know, whatever it is that has us in bondage, God wants to redeem us from that bondage. And that is true, and it is very top line. It is such a blessing. It's not incorrect, but it is incomplete. So what's the bottom line? This thing goes on forever, my goodness. Anyway, but what's the bottom line of that story, the ten plagues? Well, I don't know if you know, but the Egyptians had ten key gods that were all reflected by each one of those those plagues, right? So as the Egyptians watched each one of those plagues defeated one by one, right, they probably were asking themselves, are we really worshiping the right God? Right? That's exactly what they're asking themselves. And then this is really interesting. Look at this. The Israelites leave Egypt, you know, they, get their, they take a bunch of stuff and they go. And let's look at Exodus chapter 12, verses 37 through 38. This is so interesting. It says, The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, and there, uh, there were about 600,000 men on foot. Now, men, not counting all the women and children, right? So there's a lot of people. There's about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children, right? It says, I just forgot it was there. Anyway, but it says many other people went up with them, right? Many other people went up with them. These other people, who were they? They were Egyptians. They were Egyptians going with the Israelites because they had seen the power of this Israeli God. So you've got to imagine Egyptians leaving homes and family and friends and their whole life and their jobs and all that security to follow this newfound God. That must have been a pretty big deal. These are people that we will see in the final fulfillment of the kingdom of heaven. They will be there. They were convicted converts to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen to that. Right? 
So here we are in the second book of the Bible, Exodus, right? And we're already seeing Gentiles come into God's kingdom. Now, you may have thought that Gentiles didn't start coming into God's kingdom until the New Testament. That's because we've been reading our Bibles as 66 independent books disconnected from each other without a consistent story within them. And as a result, we thought Jesus gave the Great Commission. Jesus was just clarifying and reiterating something that's already been we've already been called to from the very beginning. He didn't give it. I mean, he authored it, right? But he didn't give it at that moment. That's what, that wasn't the first time he gave it. It began in Genesis chapter 12, and it forms the foundation for the entire story of the Bible. From the very beginning, God has been reaching out to Gentiles because the top line equals the bottom line. It does. And God has loved all peoples equally from the very beginning, and he's been pursuing them from the very beginning. So what's the bottom line lesson of the ten plagues? Well, God is doing major things in the world to bring individuals and whole people groups to himself. We get a little tired of the news, right? What's what's the bottom line application? Maybe we should be praying through the news. Maybe we should actually be listening to the news in a different kind of a way, right? Do we see that what comes to us via CNN or Fox News or whatever you choose to watch, I'm not making any, you know... Judgment calls, got to say them all. MSNBC, you know, got to say them all so nobody gets mad at me, right? But, but do we see that what comes to us via the news as, as God's way of sort of broadcasting to the body of Christ how he is advancing his kingdom? That in world events, right, there is a spiritual battle going on. It's a spiritual battle being waged against the false gods of the world. It is really happening. And we're seeing battle like crazy right now in America. Right? That through these things, God may be working to dismantle false belief systems and bring people into his kingdom. Amen to that. That is exactly what's happening. Right? And we need to start looking at, at the news a little bit different. You know, what could be God be doing in, in issues of Islamic extremism, Right? How could be God? How could, could could that be a God working to fulfill the bottom line? Well, if people are mad enough to do the horrific things that they they do, there's something going on, right? There's something going on. Could stories arise of uh, uh, out of all of that of Christian love towards their captors, Christians who die valiantly? at the hands of Islamic terrorists, Christians who will not deny their faith even when they put that sword to their head and start sawing, actually praying for their victimizer up until the very last breath of their life, I think that's pretty impressive. And I think Muslims will think that's pretty impressive. Could formerly very devout Muslims be convicted Finally, that the Islamic verses from the Al-Quran and the Hadith, which drive terrorists, are nothing but fear-mongering and control and hatred. I might, be, I might get killed someday for that statement. Because it's on the internet now. And I don't care. 
Could they start to see that and then actually turn to the true God of grace and mercy? The only one true God in the whole world. There is no other path to him but Jesus Christ. And that's what we proclaim. Amen. In Syria right now, Muslims becoming disenfranchised with Islam and its practices are posting against extremism. They're getting disillusioned with Islam. And we're seeing Muslims convert to Christ in heavy numbers in, in, across the Middle East as a result of all this. So all the horrific stuff, I'm not sure how to voice this, but God does use it in the end of it. I'm not sure he wants it to happen, right? But he does use it. But the news doesn't report that. You don't see that. You have to you have to talk in mission circles. You have to actually keep in touch with some missionaries overseas to hear their stories. Right? By the way, we're going to have a call with a couple of missionaries uh, in a place that I can't tell you where it is soon. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to do it in the service, though. We might do it in... If, I'm probably going to report back what they say, but but let's look at another story in which we may be missing half of what God wants to 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 teach us. The story of David and Goliath, very familiar story. We know that story, right? God, you know, David takes on Goliath in the in the in the Lord's power, and he wins, and he cuts off the giant's head. Pretty morbid, right? And Israel ends up in that moment defeating the Philistines as a result. Um, and what lesson did we learn in Sunday school? Well, we, we learned that we can take on the giants in our lives, right? That we really can. What is it that's standing between you and God? Or are you and doing what God wants you to do and all that kind of stuff? And God is saying to you, go for it, right? You know, win the day. I'll be with you, right? Take on your giants and my power. I'll do that. And they can be, you know, they can be slain and, and you can find freedom in life. That's what, that's what we learned from that story. And that's true, and that's real, and it's very top line of the covenant promise. It's not incorrect. It's actually very correct, but it is incomplete. What's the bottom line to the story of David and Goliath? Well, you have to look at in 1 Samuel 17, verses 45 and 46, we read this. David said to the Philistine, You come up against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come up against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied, you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. Woo! Right? This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. That was a bold statement, right? By this little kid, no armor on, Right? Now, is that an exaggeration on David's part, right? Um, that we shouldn't really take literally? Or did he really mean that? Would the whole world hear about it, as he said? And how would they hear about it? Well, remember that you know traitors were coming through Jerusalem all the time, through Israelite territory, and they were in constant contact with them. They, God put them right in the middle of all these trade routes. We've talked about this in past weeks. And the Jews, you know, they could not keep this wonderful story to themselves. Who wouldn't share the story of David defeating the, the giant, right? And, and his God who gets all the glory. Of course they would. They would share it like crazy, 
right? And in turn, you know, traders would take that story and they would tell others about it and they would tell others about it and they would tell others about it and the world would have, the word would have gotten around the whole world through human traveling newspapers. God's glory gone viral because we all love a good story and who doesn't know the story this day and age of David and Goliath, right? Everybody knows that story. What's the bottom line to the story? That others will hear about the great thing God does in and through us. In and through the people of God. His glory will be shown among the nations through our witness. What's the bottom line application? It's to do everything in your life for God's glory. Everything in your life for God's glory. Wash the dishes to glorify God. Right? Uh, Work at the office to glorify God, not your boss, right? Driving away to glorify God. I got to do that a little bit better, to be honest. Make your bed, live your private life, love your, your spouse and your children all in a way which glorifies God. Because everything in this world is spiritual. We say that often at 6-8 if you haven't been here too long. Everything is spiritual, do everything to glorify God. Because people are always watching. You know, we could name story after story after story in the, in the Bible, and every single story would, uh, you know, we, we would probably know the top-line lesson because we've been trained to do that. That's what we, we, but, but we probably don't know the bottom-line lessons of those stories. And we may be missing half of what God wants to say to us. And if you've only got half the orders from your commander-in-chief, you won't be making very good decisions on the battlefield, will you? You really won't. In fact, you can miss God's will because you only knew half of God's message. It's possible for even whole groups of people to miss a message or a concept in the Scripture for a long time. Societal groups and cultures are alike. Are, are all, they're all kind of like individual peoples, aren't they, right? We get stuck on one way of seeing things, one way of communi- communicating things, and we do this all the time. Even as groups and whole countries, we grow myopic in the way that we see things. That's why I, I, I said to somebody the other day, I said, I wish every single person in the earth could live in a third world country for one year and you would be really grateful for this country and all that we have. You can't see it because you haven't learned it, right? You look at political parties, right, and how they adopt one ideology and, and, or one way of thinking and they can't see something directly before them. You know, when Martin, it's 500 years to this year that Martin Luther uh, went before the Diet of Worms to be scrutinized, right, and, and to get him to recant his views. Um, one person made him think hard that day when he was standing there being scrutinized and questioned. One guy asked him this question. He said, how is it, Martin Luther, that you, out of all the theologians out there, are right? Let me say that again. How is it, Martin Luther, that you, out of all the other theologians out there, are right. Because Martin Luther was saying something totally different than everybody else from the scriptures, right? And the church had been reading the same Bible for a long time, 
Great men had studied the, those scriptures, and there were a plethora of other very smart theologians out there during his time. How did one guy see, through all the subcultural baggage and the pomp and the pageantry of the church, to glean the very essence of grace in its pages like Martin Luther did? Something that we Protestants now take for granted all the time. Something we think is so simple and so core to the gospel message, salvation by grace through faith alone. I think it's justificatio sola fide, right? Salvation, justification by faith alone, right? It was, it was at that moment when, when that other man had asked that question to Martin Luther that uh, he asked for a break because it was an important question. You know, somebody asked me that and I was on trial. I would, I would, that would be an important question because you don't want to be prideful, right? And so he went away and he prayed. And the next day he came back into the room and that's when he said his famous quote. He said, here I stand. God help me. I can do no other. He was convicted, right? And as a result, all of us now Read the scriptures differently, don't we? Because Martin Luther had the spiritual muster to read more critically, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak beyond all the cultural baggage of the church and the times of his day, you know, his culture. Hopefully today we have seen that we can go our whole lives reading only the top line of the Abrahamic Covenant that that we're we're we that we've been, we're a blessed people, right? That God wants to bless us, and that we can be very individualistic in our view of the gospel. That we may logically agree that we need to bless others, but we haven't really fully uh, grasped or understood the all-encompassing call of the phrase to go and bless the nations. That God has a role for us in revealing His glory among all the nations of the earth and unifying the diversity of the world under Jesus. Moses and I are going down to, to meet a guy in Philly um, tomorrow morning um, and, and talk to him about uh, international s- students and what we can do to connect with them. Uh, a lot of you know Muslims just coming in, studying in Philly. Uh, by the way... Get involved in that ministry, and you will be fed well. They I mean, people make great food. I love that, <laughs> but that's the best part about it. But uh, <laughs> but God has a role for us in revealing His glory to these peoples, right? And hopefully, we will stand convicted, uh, in joy, and that we will be transformed over the life of the this series and hearing these words. I'm, that's what I'm praying for. I'll shut up. Amen. Father, we thank you for your this time this morning. We thank you that you love us. We thank you for what you're saying to us. And, you know, we, we want to be people that are serious about what you've called us to. Father, if you need to, break everything down. Break it all down. Scrub out of us those things that keep us from understanding and seeing where you want us to go and what you want us to be about and how you want us to love other people into the kingdom. Pray that you would train us well. That you would move our hearts to a desire for this. We do nothing without desire.
We don't pursue anything without desiring it first. So I, that's what I pray for this morning, is a grand, great desire to glorify your name among the nations in us. We want to willfully and openly give ourselves over to you in a way that we've never done before. And we thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, for a meal with me. That's, that seems to be a habit these days. Amen. <laughs>